your news program every morning with up-to-the-minute news and extensive analysis of issues from Korea and abroad. This morning with Alex Jensen on TBS EFM. So, an historic resolution to initiate uh, negotiations on a total nuclear ban around the world passed the first committee of United Nations General Assembly on October 27th. 123 nations were in favour, 38 against. They include the United States, Russia, Israel, France, the UK, all who possess nuclear arms. Uh, the treaty is steps away, though, from being legally binding. There are criticisms that it's just disconnected from the actual security environment that's out there. Professor Tillman Ruff of the School of Population and Global Health at the University of Melbourne is uh, founding chair of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons and joins us on the line. Good morning. Hello. It's good evening from New York, actually, but uh, pleased to be with you. Well, thank you very much for, for joining us. Um, and as far as this particular resolution is concerned, uh, this criticism that it's not realistic. It's all very well having a law banning nuclear weapons, but when you've got so many powerful nations opposed, is this just theoretical then? No, I don't think so. I think it's the next best step that the rest of the world that's frustrated with the lack of progress on nuclear disarmament, the lack of the nuclear armed states fulfilling their long-standing legal commitment to disarm, um, frustrated by their continued massive investments in modernising their nuclear arsenals and retaining them indefinitely. It's what the rest of the world can do to... Um, we have this strange anomaly that the worst weapons of all, the last weapon of mass destruction that's not yet specifically prohibited by an international treaty, um, is nuclear weapons. And, um, and this negotiation for a treaty to specifically prohibit nuclear weapons will fill that... Uh, legal gap that exists and make it clear that nuclear weapons are unacceptable in any circumstances, in any hands, for any reason. Uh, what actually has to happen to make this legally binding, though? I, I said it's just steps away. So what are those steps? Yes. Well, what happened was that the vote was in the first committee of the General Assembly, which um, is the committee that deals with disarmament uh, issues, and then that will be formally ratified by the full General Assembly. Um, all of the debates have already happened now, so essentially that'll be just a rubber stamp um, in usually about the end of the first week in December. Occasionally one or two countries uh, change their vote if they have a change of government, for example, but it's passed by such a substantial majority, as you mentioned, um, that it's really, there's no possibility foreseeable that it wouldn't uh, be approved by the full assembly. And then the first negotiations are slated to commence in the last week of March next year, uh, one week, and then three weeks in June and July. And those conferences will be under the rules of the General Assembly, so they will be open to all countries. But if there's a contestation, if, con if consensus isn't able to be reached, then majority will rule. Um, and what we expect to emerge from this um, is a treaty that makes it clear in international law that to develop, uh, test, possess, deploy, use or threaten to use nuclear weapons um, is illegal. But ultimately, if the US or the UK or Russia, you know, North Korea for that matter, you know, if, if these countries refuse to comply, 
there's not a lot that can actually be done against them, presumably. Of course, this is this will not eliminate nuclear weapons overnight, and nobody would claim that it would. Um, but it follows the proven path that has been effective for every other kind of weapon that has been deemed uh, indiscriminate, inhumane, unacceptable in any circumstances, where codifying and laying clearly out in the law uh, that these weapons are unacceptable um, and should be prohibited. That's, and that has then motivated and provided the basis for progressive elimination of biological and toxin weapons, chemical weapons, mm. and more recently, landmines and cluster munitions. So in all of those situations, there's first been a clear legal norm established, so these weapons are banned, and then that provides the basis to progressively eliminate them. So the progressive elimination of nuclear arsenals will clearly... Only the states that have the weapons can do that. Yes. Um, but this will provide, I think, a lot of legal, political, moral, uh, and practical pressure, um, particularly if it's followed up, uh, for example, by countries that sign up to the treaty, uh, making it illegal for their citizens or anyone in their jurisdiction to assist in um, nuclear weapons activities uh, if they potentially prohibit investments in companies that produce nuclear weapons, then these could significantly uh, have an influence. Um, but the verifiable, you know, time-bound, detailed provisions for the elimination of nuclear weapons will clearly need to follow um, and will need to involve the nuclear-armed states. Um, but it's interesting that the, the nuclear-armed states weren't united in their view about this ban. Um, China abstained, uh, India and Pakistan abstained, uh, and North Korea actually voted for the treaty. Um, so it's interesting that the nuclear-armed states themselves uh, have mixed views uh, about uh, about this. But clearly, all of them are ostensibly committed uh, to a world free of nuclear weapons. So a world free of nuclear weapons will require the weapons to be deemed illegal, and that's what this... Mm -hmm. um, resolution is intended to do. Well, there's great irony, obviously, in North Korea voting for this treaty when it is one of the fastest developing uh, countries as far as uh, testing nuclear weapons and testing missiles is concerned. And surely you can sympathize with a country like the US, for example, when North Korea is threatening the US mainland or that's where it wants to be heading. Uh, you can't expect the U.S. to back down at this particular moment in time and to appear, in inverted commas, weak uh, well, in I the think, face of North Korean threat. I think we're in a very dangerous situation at present where, you know, clearly the infrastructure of the Cold War, those massive arsenals in the U.S. and Russia, which between them have well over 90% of the world's weapons, still exist with almost 2,000 weapons on high alert ready to be launched. Um within minutes uh, of a decision to do so. Mm. Extremely accident-prone, error-prone, and cyber-attack-prone. Um, we have escalating regional tensions involving nuclear-armed states, not only on the Korean Peninsula, but in the Middle East, uh, in South Asia, between India and Pakistan, and unexpected for many, but now, you know, in, the, in Eastern Europe, in, in Ukraine, with real possibility of conflict that could involve Russia and, and um, the US or NATO. Um, so there are multiple flashpoints around the world. The, the many um, of experts and, for example, William Perry, former Defence Secretary in the US, 
former foreign ministers of, of, of Russia are saying this is the most dangerous time, more dangerous, in fact, a number of them say, than the height of the Cold War. So this is exactly the right time to be taking nuclear weapons, doing whatever we can as okay. quickly as possible to get nuclear weapons out of the picture. So but they're not. is and there I a sane the case for the US doing that before no. North Korea, Russia or China, for example? No, I think we're not talking about, um, you know, nobody's talking about one country unilaterally disarming, although, uh, you know, there, ha that, there are precedents for that. The um, um, Belarus, Ukraine and Kazakhstan, when the Soviet Union broke up, relinquished the substantial numbers of, of Soviet nuclear weapons on their soil. South Africa is the only country to have developed a nuclear arsenal and then voluntarily uh, given it up. Um, clearly, this is something that needs to involve all of the nuclear armed states, and I wouldn't for once want to uh, you know, be in a position to justify or explain uh, North, the North Korean position. No. But I think it's interesting that um, there need to be, you know, this needs to be a for the world's worst weapons, we need to have a situation of of clear rules that are that are applied consistently to all countries. Mm. Um, if there is, as we currently have, you know, a few nations claim the right to um, possess these heinous weapons um, while denying that right to others, um, given the ease of access to to fissile materials um, and to build nuclear weapons. Um, that's a recipe for proliferation. So the only regime that will be effective is one that applies the same rules to all, and that's going to be um, no nuclear weapons. Well, thank you so much. It's a privilege to have someone as uh, distinguished as you in the field, and in an ideal world, yes, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it, to put down nuclear arms together. Um, I just fear, as I suggested before, that someone's got to take the lead on that, and uh, I don't know who's going to stick their neck out on the line. Thank you so much. Well, I think this is a very important mm. important step, and I think one of the interesting lessons is looking at the other treaties. Even though the major users and producers of other weapons, uh, landmines, cluster munitions, um, haven't signed up to those treaties, they've been profoundly influenced by them. None of them now export landmines. Um, and the norm of non-chemical weapons use uh, was applied uh, by agreement between Russia and the US in the case of Syria, even though Syria wasn't a party to the Chemical Weapons Convention because of the power of that international norm that chemical weapons were unacceptable. Um, so I think this is uh, not the final step, but it's a very significant step. Again, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure, thank you. Tillman Ruff from the University of Melbourne, a founding chair of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. Uh, maybe we've got some American listeners right now who'd like to contribute or offer another side of the, uh, the view from Russia or China or even from the very specific case of the Korean Peninsula. You can text us right now, pound a sharp 1013 for 51 per message. You can tweet us at EFM this morning.